Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Synergen Leadership Podcast. My name is Julian Carl, CEO of Synergen Group and very happy to be here uh, with you again today. Look, in today's episode, I speak with Donna Jones, who is the Group Manager Talent Diversity at a company called Transdev. And I think interview is interesting for a couple of reasons. One is that Donna very much looks at her role from the position of influence as opposed to being a directive leader. And secondly, some of the challenges Donna faces in terms of being part of an executive team, which is really looking to implement a cultural change within the within their business. So happy listening. And once again, we'd love for you to head over to iTunes or Stitcher, leave a review. Love to hear what you think. Enjoy. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian speaks with leaders from around Australia to bring you their leadership story and share their insights about being a leader. To further help you build your leadership capability, Julian shares his own insights about leadership and the tools and techniques he uses as a leader. Welcome, Donna, to the Synergen Leadership Podcast. Really appreciate you taking time to be a part of it so that the listeners have a bit of a sense of who you are and what you do. Can you share a little bit about where you are right now? Sure. First of all, thank you so much for having me today, Julian. It's a real pleasure to to join your leadership podcast. And obviously, we work together with our time at Asiano. I am at Transdev looking after both talent and diversity and inclusion portfolios and I've been with Transdev for about a year and a half. Is there an interesting fact that uh, the listeners might not know about Transdev? Probably um, our biggest innovation is around uh, implementing transport on demand services across different regions within the, the Sydney area. And just so uh, listeners have a bit of an idea about the geographic spread of Transdev, Yep, we manage public transport operations across Australia and New Zealand and have nearly 6,000 employees across ferries, um, passenger trains, light rail networks, buses, and of course, on-demand transport. So it's highly likely that some of the listeners would have actually used the Transdev service at some point. Absolutely, and we call ourselves journey makers. So we um, pride ourselves in providing an exceptional customer experience for our millions of, of passengers every day. So I'd like to take you back, all the way back to your very first leadership position. Are you able to share a little bit about what it was, what you did, what the role was? Sure. Um, I studied science, uh, biological science and genetics in university and worked in that field for a few years and thought, I want to do something different. So I joined telecommunications company Nortel Networks a few years later and looked after a recruitment team. And that was my first leadership role and it was certainly a great learning opportunity. I think because I was a new leader, it, it took me a while to find my feet around what my own values around leadership actually were. Um, and also that I don't need to be friends with people on my team. So that was probably one of the biggest learnings for me. And how many in the team? I had a team of five at the time. Okay, so a nice size to, to yep. start with. Yep. And what do you think were some of the mistakes that you made in that first leadership role? One of the other biggest learnings was around not being transparent. So um, being honest, 
and also self-aware and regulating my own emotions. I think, there, well, there's probably quite a few learnings that I captured along the way, but being transparent with people around their own performance and, and being clear about areas where they can improve. You know, for me, being a leader is about supporting my people's performance and ensuring that, that they reach their own potential. It's not really about me. Leadership isn't about me. And was there a particular incident that sticks in your mind about people's performance? Look, there were a few, and there will always be interesting stories and learnings along the way. Dealing with performance challenges as a new leader is tough. I won't lie. I'm having transparent conversations about perhaps where a team member has let others down or themselves down where their performance is really challenging. But once again, being clear and having open conversations around outcomes was a big learning. And were there any big successes that you think you had in that very first leadership role? Probably the learnings that I took with me to, you know, to further my career around being courageous as well and, and um, stepping up as a leader for your own values was really important. I had my own manager at the time who wasn't performing that well. So even dealing with managing up is a real challenge. I'm sure that a lot of new leaders have to deal with as well. So dealing with office politics can be a learning that a lot of new people have as well. Okay. Was it during this role that you decided this whole idea of leadership was for you? I probably always felt inclined to move towards a leadership role. So throughout high school and university, I always sought more um, leadership opportunities. But I did find certainly gratification in supporting people and, and helping them reach potential and getting that feedback back was something that was really important to me that I appreciated. Um, there were people that were quite junior on my team that are really supported in, in developing their own careers and developing their communication style and performing effectively. So I, I do think for leaders there's an intrinsic value in, in providing strong leadership and support to, to people on their team. Were there any specific impacts that you think you had on the people that reported to you? To be honest, I think a great leader affects people. It's it's a multi-dimensional way that you affect people. So you can affect people's confidence and support them, um, particularly more junior people, or or even um, in some cases, women can really su be supported by having a strong leader that they can learn from. But it helps you grow as a person in general. I don't want to sound probably cliche or this is not an Oprah podcast, but, you know, I, I do think strong leaders affect people in, in ways that support their whole being rather than just how they perform at work. And I have gotten uh, feedback from some of the people on my previous teams that said, look, you really helped me not only deal with my challenges at work, but with other situations. And have you deliberately tried to be that type of leader that, that, that provides that whole level of support for your team? I try and appreciate that everybody comes to work with different issues or challenges or a personal circumstance that may provide um, challenges for them to perform highly at work um, or have their own baggage. You know, we all come to work or walk around in this world with our own baggage. So I try and appreciate when people come to work that everyone has their own story to tell and that there's a place for everyone at the table as well, that none of our roles are more important than the others, that we all have a very strong role to play in a team. How long were you in that role? 
I was at Nortel for a total of three years. And unfortunately, the, the company sort of hit a really, <laughs> it, it finished up uh, towards the end of my time there. So our business uh, folded towards the end. The telecommunications business was slowing down. Of course, Nortel was not profitable at that time. Um, so I was there about three years. So moving into your, your second role, you've had your first taste of leadership, Nortel. Uh, what move did you make? Where did you go? Um, I joined a business that was very interesting business in healthcare, looking after recruitment for emergency departments across the southeast of the United States. Um, so traveling throughout, say, Alabama, Mississippi, so very uh, socially disadvantaged areas as well. So it's totally uh, new um, opportunity, sort of eyes wide open type opportunity, loads of learnings, lots of travel, um, and I had a team of about 12. Did you deliberately decide to go for something very different to what you... No, I received a call from a recruiter that said, we have this fantastic opportunity, it's, is it something you would do? And I thought, look, sure, why not? Um, I generally have an open mind to new opportunities and thought, I think one of the other um, skills you need to have as a leader is getting upskilled really quickly. So what is it about the business? How can I add value and really get your hands into it? So that opportunity presented itself and I went for it. And is there any more detail you can give about that role? It sounds quite interesting. Fascinating business. So in emergency medicine, uh, we were recruiting physicians, medical directors. It was only doctors, but very interesting business around the healthcare complexities in the U.S., the challenges that disadvantaged people have with getting healthcare, and the fact that you're actually touching people's lives. So the quality of doctors that you um, interview, assess, hire, and, and bring on to these local emergency departments truly affects people's lives. So it, it was very much a value, once again, a value added part of my life around leadership that, that I really learned from. So you went from a team of five to a team of 12. Do you think having that team of five helped you in any way when you got to having the bigger team? Somewhat. <laughs> and I think the, the larger your teams grow, the more complexity, and it is about, um, you can't always be you know, the direct manager to everyone. Having a capable team of, of leaders in that leadership structure is really important. So having people that have similar values to yourself around inclusion and supporting everyone's um, opportunities for development is really important. Were you able to recruit some of your own team in, in that role? I was, yes. And same at Asiano, I recruited the majority of, of people in the team there as well, and that team was 25. So it is interesting how things grow yeah. and, and mature. But it is interesting, you know, managing managers is quite a complexity in itself around autonomy and outcomes-based delivery, but also going back to your values, being commercial, but also inclusive. It, it is quite challenging. And, and giving people the breadth to develop their own leadership skills. It doesn't mean that there's any perfect formula that makes a great leader. So thinking about your, your time at, uh, in that role, any particular successes which stand out for you? Probably looking at more innovative ways to attract 
healthcare or doctors into new roles. So that was very much, you know, back in the day, the internet was only just going. We had websites and things like that, but people weren't overly savvy with using the internet to identify new opportunities. So really pushing the boundaries on attraction of, of new people into the industry and also engaging team members on innovation. You know, that is another challenge and another um, view on diversity is really supporting innovation and getting more ideas to the table. So it was about getting input from team members and not expecting that I have all the answers. That's probably a, a big learning was around. We were disrupting the industry with recruitment practice, but also getting ideas from everyone um, on the team. Do you think you have any unfinished business when you look back on your time there? Probably with age, you know, there's a lot of learning that comes along with it. And for younger managers, you certainly don't do everything right or perfectly. And yeah, there's there's lots of learnings or things that I would love to go back and tell people now I understand. <laughs> and why did you decide to leave that role? Well, I moved overseas um, and relocated and started you know, sort of restarted my career over in Australia. You've done a number of different roles. I'd like to bring back to this current role. Mm -hmm. Are you able to give the, the listeners any further context around the you know, number of reports, yep. sort of metrics, KPIs, anything that you think is interesting? Yep. So in this particular role, our head office of our business is more the, the strategic manages the strategic portfolios across our business. So with the talent function in diversity and inclusion, I look after the thought leadership, the programs um, behind our, our talent schemes and diversity and inclusion, but our local businesses manage the, the operations. So it's quite a bit different. So the, the actual hands-on quote-unquote control is not up to me. It is about influence more. So it's probably along the maturity lines of leadership, it does move more into less direction and more influence, and that's probably sort of the, the curve of where my career is going longer term. Are you enjoying that? Yeah, very much so. Um, it's certainly more complex to influence people across our business to sort of to follow the strategy that's put in place but I'm not in an operational business, so I do need to understand what some of the constraints and challenges are as well. Um, for some of our operational businesses, looking at doing things quite differently. Okay. And, and how do you approach the idea of influence around the, and the strategy? Are there any particular tactics that you use? Definitely being out in the business as much as I possibly can. Certainly not asking anyone in our businesses to um, implement a program that isn't going to be suitable. So being as knowledgeable as I can of our operations to ensure what is developed in head office is fit for purpose. That's probably the first thing. Um, and also adding value, that we don't want to add any additional cost or time constraints if it's not adding tremendous value. So one of the biggest learnings around diversity and inclusion is ensuring that everyone is clear, not only on the intrinsic values, that diversity and inclusion offers our business around support, but also the commercial benefits and being really clear about what the commercial benefits are. And how do you see people reacting to that when you try to explain to them about the commercial side of the diversity and inclusion? Um, our, our business is very interesting. So we are a very heavily male-dominated industry 
at, you know, at the outset. We're a business that's going through cultural transformation at the moment and probably over the next few years. Um, we also have different cultural dynamics across Australia and New Zealand as well. The resources industry, particularly in Perth and Brisbane, have affected cultural dynamics and have opened doors for women. However, in some of the other capital cities, well, Darwin as well, but in some of the other capital cities where we operate, they haven't had those benefits. So it is a continual education process. Um, a lot of our leaders say, yep, I love the ideas around the commercial benefits, but we need to think practically about how we implement and go forward with some of this cultural change because it it is a process and it does take a lot of education around why we want more women in our business or why we celebrate cultural diversity why we have um, diversity and inclusion councils in each of our business and what the benefits are particularly around engagement and do you think everyone's buying into the idea yes um, initially it wasn't mandated it was this is going to be great for your business we've gone down the path now where we have diversity and inclusion councils, for example, in all of our businesses, because we know the inherent benefits of having cultural diversity celebrations and gender equality practice and policies. In my heart of hearts, I do believe that the opportunities are now embraced, but it has taken a year and a half of education and continual sort of support. Um, but we have some tremendous advocates, both men and a lot of women in our business that have helped to, to influence change as well. Because sometimes it can be quite challenging for an organisation that's large, like Transdev, to be able to you know, really start to educate and bring people on the journey. And, you know, being involved with organisations like Male Champions of Change and White Ribbon, we have access to a lot of precedents, we have data, um, and we understand what works. So there's a lot of research that we can access that supports a lot of our strategies. So now you're in a more influence type leadership role. What are you learning about yourself as a leader? The need for patience. <laughs> <laughs> okay, not my strong point. <laughs> um, definitely patience and also probably clarity of thought and vision is required a lot because you can get sidetracked or distracted or um, I think the other thing is probably the most important, and, and I didn't recognize this probably until this year, is to talk to people, to understand from our frontline operational people, how is this change affecting your day-to-day -day work and how can we support you in, in supporting our customers better? So we provide a service to um, customers every single day. How can we support our customers, but how can we support you as our frontline uh, people to provide that service in a better way? And uh, the, the frontline workforce responsive to those, those questions? Very. And the... very. Um, through the Male Champions of Change program, part of the program is around hosting focus groups. So Renee Lalonde, our CEO and myself, um, have hosted focus groups across a lot of our businesses and have actually talked to people, particularly women, about what's your experience working here? How can we support you? Um, and what's your experience like providing this value-added service to the greater community? So it, it's helped tremendously because it actually shows we're on the right path in this space and this is where we need to actually improve our plan. What do you think some one of your biggest strengths is as a leader? I, hope, I would like to say I'm open-minded um, and inclusive. In other words, I want to hear, we have an intern on our team who plays just as big of a role 
in, in how we deliver our programs as the most senior person on our team. So I'd like to hear from everyone their thoughts and views and opinions on whether or not what we're putting forward is fit for purpose and suitable. And I've learned this as I go along um, or, or that I've matured probably in my career that um, ensuring everyone has a voice is really important, but also when to actually just get moving, that the time is now, it's not yesterday. Yeah, that can be a challenging balance sometimes. It is, it is. We're launching flexible work in a lot of our businesses and there's a lot of, oh my goodness, how am I going to trust my person to work from a different location if I can't see them? So continual education, but actually pushing forward for progress instead of going, maybe we'll get to it next year. So I wouldn't mind exploring some more general hmm. views on leadership. What, what do you think the biggest myth is about leadership that you've ever come across? Leaders are nice. <laughs> or leaders are directive. You know, to be a leader, you have to be strong. And I think there's a lot of traditional views around leaders um, having more traditional masculine traits. And I think, for me, the strongest leaders that, that I probably look up to are collaborative, um, humble. Um, we have, a, you know, we have... Um, great leadership role models within our business as well that are values driven but also are commercially savvy as well. And you mentioned before about uh, being open-minded. Is there any other words you'd use to describe yourself as a leader? I'd like to say thoughtful as well and probably more (laughs) (laughs) self-regulated. I'd like to think that initiatives that I put forward to my team are thoughtful that I respect their own time outside of work and I'm not expecting things where people need to work 24-7 to deliver their work. And also I support people to have development opportunities. Once again, it's not about me, it is about people on my team or people in this business that are developing their careers and hopefully any development for me or, or promotion comes outside of that or as a result of that. Do you think that that allows you to get the most out of your team, that sort of approach? In my experience, the most engaged teams I've ever had have been the teams where people feel most supported and included and appreciated. And sometimes a simple thank you or appreciate you coming in or don't worry about it, let's get to it next week. Really appreciating everyone has a life outside of work and supporting them to get everything they can. Um, out of their own careers. I'm always very curious about uh, methodologies, probably because what we do is train leaders. Uh, Are there any particular methodologies, Mm. frameworks, models that you've used, that you're a fan of? I've read um, a few of um, Goldman's books on emotional intelligence. I've read Sheryl Sandberg's book on Lean In. Probably the the person I'm listening to most, actually on podcast as well, is Adam Grant, um, Harvard professor, around leadership and creativity and innovation and moving away from groupthink. So probably my biggest pet peeve is getting a group of people in a room and they say, yeah, that's great, they all agree and they leave, and there wasn't one dissenting voice in the room. And I'd even say, with regards to my own ideas, appreciating people to actually come to me and go, I don't think that's going to work. And so do those podcasts provide you any sort of way to avoid that idea of groupthink? They give great examples. So they um, interview organizations that are sort of pushing the boundary on workplace culture and also 
look at being very open to feedback, and that's probably the area, and I haven't been explicit about it, but around being explicit about as a leader, be open to feedback and ask your people for feedback. We only know if we're being effective by the feedback that our people give us. So you'd be advocate of the whole 360 idea in terms of? As long as people feel comfortable being honest. I think there's still a huge fear of retribution um, even in employee engagement surveys, there will be a way I'll be recognized and it won't look good. So I think as long as people feel comfortable being as honest as they as they can be, that's the only way we'll ever learn and get better. Any ideas on, on how businesses can, can do that, create that feeling of, of trust? and? I think it's up to the leadership and the CEO. It starts with the CEO feeling very much like there's an open door there to provide feedback from the CEO, executive leaders, all the way down to have that open door policy around, I think you really missed the mark here or this was really good. I think it's up to the leadership. What would you say is your biggest leadership challenge right now? I'd say leading with influence is a real challenge. Um, it's not, you know, as I said, our structure is not a directive structure and it is a real challenge because some of our folks you know, it's really comfortable and easy to do things the way that you've always done them. And what we're asking people to do is to step out of their comfort zone and do things differently. So to influence people to actually do this, commercial outcomes, business case, values-driven leadership or not, all of those things, in some cases, people are still really afraid of change. So really trying to encourage people to think outside of the box and feel comfortable to do that is a challenge. Did you join the business? because that challenge is what excited you? I think I was really naive. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, yeah, no problem, I've done this. Yeah. It, it's, um, it, it's been a wonderful challenge, but there have certainly been complexities that I had no idea existed. And public transport is a fantastic industry, very dynamic, being disrupted all day long. So our big focus is how do we uh, prevent being blindsided by disruption? And that's probably our ultimate business case here. How do you measure your success as a leader? It's a good question. I review our retention statistics regularly, so looking at attrition across different demographics in our business, age, gender, cultural diversity, looking at our leadership programs and how we're going with developing people. I would say when I see the attrition numbers leveling out, I probably look at myself as being, you know, as, as a, a way to look at whether or not I've been successful because our talent programs stretch across promotions through to development. We have early talent programs as well, but the attrition numbers are what's really important. Uh, just exploring the whole idea of talent for a minute, how, how robust would you say your talent development sort of planning is? And the reason I ask is I was recently at another another business and they had a very robust they had you know three people identified for for every single role mm. versus other ones of my network where oh we think that person's going to go there where do you think you might we're, fit? we're at the beginning of that journey and it is about priorities for us so how quickly can we get different programs up and running we are launching leadership programs in a couple of our businesses which is really exciting this is the first 
um, opportunity and we also have launched an early talent development program as well which we're running in-house but it's definitely as far as succession planning we have had successes with internal promotions which have been great but there's still a lot of work that we need to do in that space I suppose this question probably follows on about how do you build capability in, in TransDev at the moment yeah. Um, because our business is growing and changing so quickly, we have a lot of projects that are happening around innovation. So, for instance, looking at electric buses and how do we move forward um, technology-wise to a, a marketplace that's driven by electric buses or looking at um, business development opportunities and how we can add more sort of intellect from different demographics in our business into business development bids. Um, there's lots of different internal projects that we're running that offer a lot of development opportunities. But also, once again, talking to people to understand what is it that you want to develop in, how do you, you know, what space do you want to learn, how do you learn best. Probably one of the areas that we need to look at is focusing on how do adults learn and how do we come to a mature model when it comes to supporting adult learners? I'm very passionate about networking. It's one of the things which I think a lot of leaders don't necessarily put a focus on, uh, and I was guilty of that in the past. What are your views on networking and how do you go about it if you do it? Me, personally, I find it a little bit painful. <laughs> um, because... I interact all day long at work every day. Um, I do find it a little more challenging to network outside of office hours, but certainly see it necessary, and particularly for women. Um, generally, men have more established networks than women do, so it's certainly necessary. What we've tried to create within Transdev are opportunities for internal networking, particularly for our younger cohort, but it, it's definitely necessary uh, a necessary activity, but for some people it takes work, particularly introverted people. Um, it's something that they have to work out and maybe even practice. And how do you work at it? I have to convince myself that it's something I need to do. I, I'm extroverted at work, but at networking opportunities, I'd be very happy to quite uh, sit quietly and observe. So it is quite challenging <laughs> for me to mix it up a little bit. And the other thing that I'm always uh, interested in hearing people's views on is mentoring. Mm. Uh, yes. So have you got any examples or experience with being a mentor or being mentored? Yes. It's a wonderful question. So we're launching our mentorship program um, with our new graduate cohort and our early talent development folks. And what it will give us is an opportunity for tremendous learning and development with the younger people and also for our more mature people that will be the mentors. I think it's a learning opportunity for both parties and both parties can learn from each other. But what we're looking for is that commitment and that honesty and transparency and lack of any retribution. So we want this to be a relationship-driven approach to development and we'll let you know how it goes. So I've got a, a mentee. Um, the other thing we'll be launching is a sponsorship program as well. So for high-profile women to be sponsored by one of our executives. So that's another program we're going to launch, similar to mentoring, but it provides high-profile opportunities for women that normally wouldn't get that opportunity because their networks are not as advanced. Interesting observation you make about the, the networks being as advanced in line mm. with, the, with the gender. I, I hadn't quite, personally, hadn't quite mm. looked at it 
yeah. from that perspective. Yeah. There's a lot of research that shows that, I mean, and I've even noticed myself, so um, in organizations I've, I've worked in, when executive roles are vacant, it, it's a bit like who's available in my network at that executive level. I'll go ahead and catch up with them. And there's a, a strong, generally, only generally speaking, there's a strong male cohort that, you know, may catch up at the golf course or at the bar for a drink after work that already have established relationships. And in a lot of cases, women either don't have those opportunities because they have caring responsibilities or they're just not comfortable catching up with a male colleague or cohort after work. So I wouldn't mind exploring the future a little mm. bit. Uh, so what is the future hold for you, Donna? Are there any specific career goals you're looking to achieve? Uh, for me, as I mentioned, I'm open-minded. So I was president of my daughter's kindergarten last year. <laughs> that nearly killed me. Very open-minded, and I really am drawn to this cultural transformation space. It's been such a challenge here at TransDev, but one that is truly worthwhile. So whatever the future holds, to be honest, I love... Being a leader and operating in leadership roles, I do find it challenging and extremely rewarding, but also giving back to the community in, in some space as well. So the transformation space is, is definitely appealing. One of the things I have noticed when people progress up the leadership ladder mm-hmm. uh, in terms of seniority, that the way they develop or focus or build their capability is different. And they're down sort of the early levels, they start doing courses, and as they get higher, they start doing different things. How do you build your, continue to build your capability? Great question. So generally, I don't say no. So I've got a suite of projects that I'm looking after at the moment, and some of them I don't have experience in. So I'm launching a flexibility project, and I've done loads of reading, interviews, um, and collected as much research as I can to form the basis of the project but it's something I haven't done before. So I think sometimes it is about embracing opportunities and having courage to embark on on new projects that perhaps, you know, you only get those opportunities by saying yes. So being open-minded and taking on new challenging opportunities and, and not being overly afraid to fail, actually, and learning from that. So again, the, the trait of open-mindedness we spoke about earlier comes up in terms of how you build your development. And your career, absolutely, yeah. Uh, any particular goals that you've got for the next year? Landing a few of these projects would be okay. great. Uh, probably balancing my uh, career and personal life a little bit better. I've just taken up Pilates. Okay. okay. <laughs> so once again, not trying to let that kill me. Having fun, actually. I love what I do, and I really have fun in the workplace and at home and, and continuing to explore new options. I, I just try and stay open-minded and, and have fun doing it. So, You mentioned earlier about disruption. Are there any particular challenges you think the industry is going to face? Technology challenges? Yes, this industry is moving faster than any of, of the long-time public transport people ever predicted. So if the technology can keep up with the, the progression of the industry. As I mentioned, we launched on-demand transport in Sydney. Ensuring that the, the technology can keep up with the demand of that service is quite challenging. And, and probably informing 
our customers on what new options are available. So if we're booking on apps, ensuring that our customers are, are fully aware of the different transport options and interconnecting those options. So in particular in Sydney, as we know, there's tremendous congestion, commute times are very long. So for people to have an on-demand transport option, in addition to their ferry travel time or their train travel time, it's a great option. Can you share a little bit more about what that on-demand is? Yep. Just... So we launched on-demand transport um, late last year in eastern suburbs of Sydney, Manly Beaches and Sutherland Shire, where we're operating rideshare Mercedes minibuses around the different uh, regions where our customers can book a ride using the app or dialing the customer service number and get taken from their home, which is a point, to a hub of, of public transport. So they can book a trip from their house and get dropped off at the ferry wharf in a 10-minute travel time and also book a trip back instead of waiting on a bus. Is that, do you think that has come about as a, with Uber hitting the marketplace and a well, Transport for New South Wales are quite savvy with how they're trying to manage the congestion across the Sydney network and the outer suburbs. So we're looking at different innovative ways to move people around more effectively. How well do you think your team are prepared to meet the technology challenges of disruption? For me, it's about collaboration. So we've done a lot of work with Monash University late last year and this year. So we know we don't have all the answers. So we are a global business of 83,000 people. Our head office is Paris. So we're leveraging technology coming out of Europe, but also local universities, Sydney University as well, on how we can work together to create a best practice customer experience using technology to ensure people are able to move around effectively. So in closing, any leaders that you look up to or that inspire you? Well, I've been devastated since Barack Obama and Michelle Obama are no longer in the White House. So yeah. I would say both of them are, are strong leaders, both culturally and politically, very savvy um, in their own right. I have sort of follow American politics quite closely. I, I really am intrigued by Australian politics as well. And even looking at disruptors like Steve Jobs, I know I don't want it to sound cliche, but I think there have been some really strong leaders that have, you know, we've come across in recent years, even I love the, the work that Bill and um, Melinda Gates are doing. But also we have strong leaders in our business as well that are transformative, they're savvy, they're relationship driven and you know I think there's a lot that within Transdev we can even learn from our own cohort. Is Michelle Obama going to, once her kids are a bit older, <laughs> is she going to have Probably not. She probably yeah, had yeah. enough. Yeah, enough. <laughs> I'm sure she's probably had enough. Uh, so if people want to find out more about Transdev and about mm. you, where should they go to find you? Um, we have a LinkedIn page, we have our transdev.com.au website, we're active on Facebook as well as Transdev Australasia. Of course, myself on LinkedIn, I think ironically my page is not fully up to date, but yeah, we're just getting in touch directly, happy to have a chat. And any last words on leadership that you think the listeners should be up? For me, it's about being courageous and being bold and, and being open-minded. Well, thank you so much, Donna, for being part of the podcast. All the best. Thank you very much, Julian. Appreciate it. Well, that
wraps up another episode of the Synergy Leadership Podcast. I trust you found it interesting. A couple of things. If you could go online and leave a review of the podcast, that would be great. Really help us in uh, spreading awareness of the podcast. Happy for you to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. And if you want to shoot me through an email, julian at synergygroup.com.au. See you next time.